0: Hi there, I'm Dennis, and this is Sheaf Valley, a show about Sheffield Startups, a podcast dedicated to Sheffield's startup ecosystem, high growth ventures, the entrepreneurs behind them, the investors that invest in them, and the supporting network around them. This is episode four of season two. I'm going to put links for the previous episodes from season two in the show's notes. They're episodes with Tom Oates from Mydas, a startup dedicated to improving the way that companies and users interact in terms of their data. Episode 2 was with Joshua Faghni from Mealbase, a startup that is trying to do food delivery in an ethical way, and episode 3 was with Lenny kandru and it was for startup week in Sheffield. An overview of the event, what you could expect if you want to participate and more. Now before we start with the episode, I want to share some news with you. The first one is about Startup Meetup Sheffield. Now the last Startup Meetup Sheffield was back on September 21st, it was a really successful edition I'd say, I personally had a really good time and met some some great new people. Now the next Startup Meetup is going to be on October 26th, that is two weeks from now, the tickets as always are free, I will put a link in the show notes so you can secure your tickets and if you want to meet founders from the region, if you want to meet investors, if you want to meet this supporting network that I mentioned. Please make sure to get your tickets and come. It's going to be, again, on Tuesday, October 26th, 6 o'clock p.m. at Sheffield Technology Parks. As always, massive thank you to Sheffield Technology Parks. Always a great host when it comes to events like this. Then I also want to mention the Google form that I spoke about in the previous episode as well. This is a Google form that I created because I want to learn more about what you, as a person who's part of Sheffield's startup ecosystem, thinks that is lacking currently. And that's in terms of events, that in ter- that's in terms of groups. So if you are part of Sheffield's startup ecosystem, please go to the show's notes, get to the link, and fill out the form, it's really short, and help me realize, what is it that you think is lacking within our ecosystem? And now the last thing that I will talk before we start with the episode is Startup Weekend Sheffield. Startup Weekend Sheffield's tickets are now live. We are currently selling the super early bird tickets, which are which we're selling for only 20 pounds. That's right, 20 pounds. The regular price is 40 quid, so you can get a ticket for 50% of the price at the moment. You still get everything that you would get with a regular ticket. We're talking about the whole event from Friday to Sunday, 54 hours. We're talking about seven meals. We're talking about a lot of great coaches and mentors that are that are coming to help you to build your startups. Again, like I cannot speak enough of the Startup Weekend as an event. I'm really happy that we're having it back. The organization is going really well. We're having uh, already having some sponsors. Uh, There is quite a good interest. Ticket sales are going are going very well. So make sure that you get your 20 pound ticket because in the end of the day, we're not doing this event uh, to make money. We're doing this event to provide the best experience to the Sheffield region, and that's why we're willing to we're willing to sell super early bird tickets for an extended period of time. The sales for them was supposed to finish last Friday. We decided to extend it with one week. Why not? Again, this is not about making money. This is about maximizing the experience of the participants. Now moving on to a resource that you, can, that you probably will find useful as a founder or a person that's working for a startup. It's called Startup Stash. Now, startup Stash is a website that provides you all the tools you might need as a founder. There are currently 839 tools for you to use on the website, including 150 to use for free. You can filter by category, and there are loads of categories from accounting, customer service, sales, email marketing, social media marketing, design, web development, any business function that you would need help with there is a tool on startup stash for you to find out about. Then there's my favorite category, alternatives. There's a couple of reasons to use alternatives of an established company, website or application. You either don't like their service, you didn't get what you wanted from them or you might not like the company's values. Whatever your reason might be, Startup Stash has curated lists with alternatives to a lot of products, including Google. Because I guess that Google is one of the companies that it's the most difficult for us to not use. They they have such a diversified portfolio of products and most of their products are really, really good. I highly doubt that there are a lot of people who don't use any of them. But if you, for any reason, if you want to use something else, Startup Stash can help you achieve that. Giving the alternatives of their search engine, of their video platform, obviously YouTube, uh, of... Of Android, well, just talking about all the different products and services that they offer. Makes my head dizzy. I cannot imagine not using Google products. I have to admit, there are some things about the company which I don't necessarily agree with. But in the end of the day, I cannot deny how much value they provide to a customer. Now, moving on with the global story that I will discuss. We're going to France, where their startup ecosystem is literally swimming in money. French startups broke their records of funds raised in a week about two weeks ago, and here are the numbers. So we're gonna go day by day, because from Tuesday to Thursday is when the magic happened. On Tuesday, Sorare, a digital football card game built with blockchain technology closed 580 million Series B round. A couple of hours later, a marketplace platform Miracle announced a, hundred, a 473 million round. The following day, a food tech platform called Sunday closed 100 million rounds, and on Thursday Vestiaire Collective, a circular economy fashion marketplace, added to the craziness, unveiling 178 million round. Now These numbers even by themselves sound insane and are a proof of France startup and digital ecosystem really exploding onto the world scene, but what adds on to that is that when we put things in perspective, these 4 startups just raised more money this week than the combined amount of funding all French startups received in 2015. That's in three days they received more money than all French high-growth ventures received in 2015 combined. And it was announced on an event in that week. Uh, The French Digital Minister of course spoke highly of this and said that Europe is now riding the wave of digital innovation the same way that USA and China have been doing already for a decade. And it really seems like the whole world is crazy about startups at the moment. The second quarter in 2021 saw so 157% increase in funding raised by startups uh, from second from the second quarter in 2020. That's 157% increase in one year. Now the strategy behind the significant funding to all these startups seems pretty clear to me. First of all, all of them have secured previous funding. Bestiaire become a, became a unicorn back in March, Sorare used the hype around NFTs back in the beginning of this year to close 40 million in February. Miracle secured 255 million last year, and Sunday's seed round. Seed round was worth 20 million in April. This year, only weeks after the company was founded. Second of all, all of them are entering a market, which is relatively untapped, and with these huge investments, they can take the early lead and dominate it. Sorare has already become a mainstream sensation, and even professional football players are investing in it. It's becoming part of football culture and a football fan culture. Vestiaire, with sustainability at its core, is at the forefront of the circular fashion economy which is probably only gonna grow bigger from now on. Sunday, which was founded by the owners of a very popular restaurant chain in France, is introducing the technology of QR codes, not only for seeing menus but also for paying, and has already scaled to a number of countries, while Miracle is helping every company transform their e-commerce business into platform marketplace. To me it seems like all four companies have a realistic chance to be leaders of their respective markets. And in that case, these huge investments would probably be justified. Now we're moving locally for the local story and I'm going to talk about two companies. The first one is Tickets for Good. For those of you who don't know, Tickets for Good is a tech for good startup founded by Steve Reimer that aims to provide free tickets for a multitude of events to NHS workers and people who might have a difficult time going to such events for their full ticket prices. I've had the honor to have Steve on my podcast, so if you want to listen to our conversation, please check the show's notes. Their newest campaign is called the Ticket Fund and has a very simple goal. To send NHS workers to events they usually wouldn't go, to thus also support live event venues and businesses, while also contributing to the economy of the city that hosts any particular event, as it's been statistically proven that for every £10 spent on an event ticket, a person also spends £17 for other amenities. Tickets for Good is looking for businesses to support that cause by buying these tickets which then would be listed on the platform for NHS workers to get for the price of a coffee. But any individual is welcome to help as well so I'll leave the link in the show's notes if you want to contribute to this great cause. The other company I want to mention in regards to local news is Tutorful. Tutorful is one of the first Sheffield-based startups that I encountered in my life, having sponsored the Startup Weekend in 2018, which I was part of as a participant. I actually had a tutorful employee in my team named Kim. He, was, he is a software developer actually, just last week. Uh, he was promoted to lead software developer, so congrats to Kim, and so it was really great to work with him at the Startup Weekend as well. We had a, we had a great time. They raised another round of investment about a month ago now, worth £3 million, with Mercia Investment Fund leading the round. Studerful will use the money to keep their expansion in Europe and will create 27 new jobs in Sheffield, according to an article in UK Tech News. Tate witnessed 376% revenue growth in 2020, with the triple-digit growth continuing in 2021. And while here in the UK we don't have restrictions anymore, the the learning and tutoring landscape seems to have changed forever and will be if not dominated, at least shared between in-person and online tutoring. And Tutor 4 in a perfect position to keep growing as a company and to, hum- and to become a behemoth in the sector of online tutoring, with over 11,000 registered tutors already. Let's hope the company keeps growing in the same way for years ahead. And now we're moving on to the main event of this episode. What do you know about computer vision, and do you know what could be the benefits of that technology? I personally didn't, and the following conversation with the founder of Alarmonet, Yuri Knyazev, helped me to discover how it can dramatically change the features and functions of security cameras. Yuri is a perfectionist, and recording with him was a challenge, because he always seeks for a better way to share his message and story. But while that made my life as an editor of this podcast a little more difficult, I'm sure that it will help him and his startup in the long term. Enjoy our conversation. I'm here today with Yuri from Alarmunit. Hi, Yuri. How are you doing?
1: Hi, Dennis. Uh, I'm good, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast.
0: Yes, it's my pleasure. It was really nice meeting you at the Startup Meetup. And so just from talking to you, I felt that it would be nice to get you on the podcast, to get more people uh, to learn about your story and to learn about Alarmunit. And for me to learn about Alarmunit as well, because obviously you told me about it but first of all it was really loud and really noisy the meetup so i didn't understand everything and then i checked it checked your website checked your linkedin page seems really interesting i just want to learn even more about it but before moving into on it i want to learn more about you prior to setting up your own startup what did you do and how did you end up working in this working in this industry and area
1: yeah of course actually my background is quite a mixed one went to I studied law and then I pursued my legal career and so on. And then I was started a business with my friend and hence, and this is how I got into the whole entrepreneurship. And actually before that, I had another business with my brother. So, you know, you, you tend to learn as you go along and just try a few things. And then, uh, yeah, as uh, I, I was, I was Picking on the on the lack of skills or knowledge that I had in certain areas like sales and other aspects, I was getting myself into jobs where I could learn this on the fly on the, on, on in in real world instead of just going and doing courses and you know in, in theory. So I thought the best way to learn was practically. So I was applying, uh, I was working for a few companies and uh, a few different positions. But kind of my main trend was technology. So I always was yep. passionate about technology and i leaned away from from the legal side and i went more into tech. over the years you know kind of got even more involved with that and recently i've been more passionate about the iot the computer vision ai and the, these kind of technologies that are coming onto the market and yeah before alarm on it i was a, a uk director for an international video monitoring software company called axonsoft so that's the main operator within the security sector we had some interesting projects with them, like deploying systems for Chelsea Football Club, working with London Underground, and some other big names. So yeah, it's uh, it's really opened up my my, my eyes onto like the applications of IoT in real world and the computer vision, how it goes alongside of it. And through that experience, this is where I developed the idea for All my money.
0: Yeah. Now, now that you told me your your last role. It ties up perfectly with with, with Larmonet, but I actually want to ask you about your education more. You you said you studied law, and I saw that on your LinkedIn page. It's very interesting for me when people who studied law move into business because one of my one of my favorite entrepreneurs, Peter Thiel, you, you probably know you probably know him. He was one of the founders of PayPal, quite prominent in Silicon Valley. He was actually uh, a law student, and in his book Zero to One, he speaks about the fact that you know he basically had kind of a structured career in front of him, a structured mm-hmm. lawyer path, which he could have taken, but he decided to go into business. So I want to ask you, why Why would a person, first of all, you think, decide to change, to move from from law into, into business? And then what do you think are skills or specific things that maybe you learn while you're studying law that are then useful in business? yeah
1: absolutely so law is is it's an exciting subject actually you know i don't regret doing it i've learned obviously a lot about contractual delitigation other sides of it the the any like you said the 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 structure for a legal career, it's kind of predefined. So you, you know, you do your, your university degree, then you go through a legal training this year, a legal practice course, and then you train your training contract. So basically there's the steps that you, you take to get accredited to work within the legal sector. And it's kind of like you you just have to follow that. There, there's not a lot of room for, for maneuver. And so, yeah, I was progressing through that uh, path, and, but then I actually got a job working for uh, a company called DLA Piper they're like one of the global legal firms and straight away exposed to this big corporate world and yeah it was just something that didn't didn't reflect my passion my passion was always about problem solving I'm always I was always into technology. I was always creating new ways of uh, solving an issue and finding solutions. And I didn't think I was I was doing that with with the uh, legal profession. As exciting it was, and you know, as lucrative it is, it just wasn't me personally. And actually, after working for LA for a while, I went into uh, well, started my second business with my my friend, and we were working in uh, Sheffield with Sheffield City Council doing youth engagement actually engaging with with kids and young people trying to get them off the streets trying to get them excited in business and other aspects of uh, education and like really trying to bring out the best of them we will work in some challenging environments and set up some youth clubs and other things to, to 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 enhance that and from yeah from that I was really got hooked by the the whole entrepreneur side the business side of, of things so by addressing real life problems and uh, trying to figure out a solution you know yeah. it, it, it was never a, a dull day basically yeah running a being in a company is never a dull day but obviously it comes with the challenges and yeah. I can you know as you can imagine can be stressful sometimes yeah. but i enjoyed it i enjoyed that stress and they always encouraged me to move forward learn yes. more and develop myself further so and this is what i like about business because yeah. as you get you, as you're on you know, get yourself uh, involved in other um, parts of the, or the industry, so the markets yeah. uh, that you're not know, an expert in, like security was one of them when it's like yeah. working for Axe and stuff. But you you tend to learn about the problems in that market, and I, I love trying to find a solution for, for those problems. But to answer your question about what legal experience gave me, law actually. So negotiation was one of them. Yeah. The talking to clients and negotiating contractual terms also the the, the whole litigation side of it understanding contract the legal position knowing where you know how law can protect you and the the processes that you need to take and uh, to protect yourself and make sure your you know, future you is not going to look back and you know see swear at you but <laughs> by missing out a term or something yeah. but yeah it's uh there's there's a lot of skills that are transferable from legal side to the business side and uh, in fact it's just a just a different angle to all those skills where you know when you apply to a business the principle is the same
0: yeah absolutely i agree and in the end of the day as it said you it's not so so much about the person having background skills in something it just needs to be the right person being able to approach uh, anything with with interest, uh, with energy, and with motivation to succeed. I mean, you're a proof into that having transferred successfully from Lego into into business careers and now into technology. Now let's move on to, to Alarmonit, the, the subject kind of our discussion today. What was the why behind Alarmonit? So you had experience working with video monitoring. What made you transition from a role into a company to setting up your own business? Why And what was the problem that you wanted to solve?
1: Yeah, well, actually there was a real problem that I kept experiencing time and time again while working with Axonsoft, and it was to do with, with computer vision. And when I started in this industry, computer vision AI was still a relatively new. Uh, technology uh, and still is you know i mean across the board even in it that is still developing it's not perfect but since i've been in that industry the the cameras of the systems have progressed so much it's actually quite impressive but one thing i've noticed was the uh, the application of the ai in the computer vision specifically in this sector it was very narrow so like for example you'll have a camera and pre-ai you know it will detect motion it might detect cross-line detection or um, object uh, detection and intrusion, and some other elements of analytics based on like a low-level computer vision, mm-hmm. uh, not much of a machine learning AI, and then then the human detection, vehicle detection came in, but it was still just detecting vehicles, just detecting people. We there is a better way of of utilizing or expanding that computer vision application within the security by extracting. Additional inside details from from those incidents, and again, some of the companies were already trying to do that. Obviously, there was there's a, a big incentive from the government. And other bigger organizations that do security surveillance on on a big scale. Obviously, for them, they, this kind of information is important. However, to be able to implement it, it requires a lot of hardware, a lot of technology behind it to be able to run. The approach we took with our money, we're trying to optimize that level as well. So not only we're we giving the extra insight, the extra capability, we are also trying to be a lot more resource economic and by only a processing data when we need to not continuously, which is what the current solutions are doing. And, obviously that has a, a knock on effect on the things like uh, carbon footprint and other elements, uh, yes. which attach attached to uh, compute power uh, involved.
0: Yep. Yeah. So first of all, I realized that I've been pronouncing the name wrong throughout the whole time. I've been saying alarm on it when it's alar- alarm on it
1: to be honest it's both the same it's uh it's absolutely, uh, it actually you know uh, one of the questions you're asking me whether it's alarm on it well why name alarm on it? oh yeah, yeah. and th- th- there's actually uh, two versions to do it one of them is uh basically a combination of two words alarm monitoring so the other side of it is alarm on it as in we are on the basically we're yeah. on the alarm we we, we in r- uh, real time we're reliable so basically we're not missing anything we're yeah. processing as it happens so, yeah, both of us okay. are absolutely
0: fine. That's good, because if you remember Darren from the Startup Meetup, the founder yep. of Same Day, and uh, I had him on the podcast earlier this year, and literally until the fourth, fifth question, I've been calling his business Samdai. And <laughs> since then, I'm very cautious with, uh, with, with with startup names. But okay, so I'm, I'm happy that I've been pronouncing it correctly. And you started talking about competitors and other other players kind kinda of in the field. Who, are, who have been trying to implement computer vision and what also Alarmonet is trying to do talk talk a little bit more about us about that do you have very strong and established competitors or is the market still widely uncaptured
1: no there is a, a lot more uh, players coming to this sector as well so predominantly the solutions where we talk where i was talking about uh, like on on-premise solutions, so you have to install a server on-site and connect to your camera. So it was very hard to move that into the cloud, and there's several reasons for that. But we're seeing a lot more solution providers moving to the cloud solutions as well, providing cloud solutions. Calypso is one of the companies that are currently probably the closest competitor to us right now because they're offering like a true SaaS solution, whereas most of the Provide well, some of the existing uh, manufacturers on the market, it, it, you know, it tends to be like a lift and shift, what they call in the industry, yeah. where you just get, take your existing product and you you, you know just host it in the cloud. It, it's not yeah. really a SaaS solution. And what we're trying to do is a true SaaS solution. Calypsa is is one of the one of the companies that's trying to do the same. Yeah. But the application is very narrow to. Uh, to to a specific function, which is uh, false alarm filtering. So they want to make sure that they, they do a, a good, really good job of detecting people or basically, you know, incidents that are generated by people or objects that are of, of interest. Whereas we we have a bit of a broader scope and a closer where we can, you know, we can extract detail, we can extract insights, regardless of what the object is. We can, we've got the flexibility of utilizing Various uh, off-the-shelf models or custom models for AI to be able to achieve that, and it's the our, our brain is how we how we use that data.
0: Right. Let's put a hypothetical scenario now. I own a warehouse. I want to install CCTV for security mm-hmm. purposes. Why should I come to you and want to use Alarm on it? What what are the what are the benefits that I'm going to get?
1: Yeah, good question. Alarm monitoring is not actually a replacement of some of the existing CCTV solutions or security yeah. solutions. It's more of an enhancement. Yes. So once, if you already have a CCTV solution or if you want to start a new one, obviously choose the best hardware that is capable to achieve you know, your desired outcome. However, the, the additional analytics, the insights, this is where cloud monitoring can step in. And the closest application would be is to use it for security to eliminate false alarms, potentially increase that insight into what generates the threats you know whether it's an employee or a visitor to the side or, and so on potentially if you're involved in logistics and you've got on a regular basis maybe the items have been mis, mis, misplaced and some other things we can potentially track that using uh, computer vision using cameras instead of requiring you're requiring to Utilize technology such as RFID tags and other technologies to be able to track the, these kind of items around the warehouse. We could potentially check the conditions of items coming into right. to your warehouse as well, so you can then produce a report to your suppliers or um, your partner, demonstrating, you know, if the items have been damaged or the packaging has been damaged in, in shipment but automate that process so it doesn't rely on the humans to do that. So, your, you know, your, your staff, your human yeah. resource can be deployed and utilized in other areas. But, but yeah, there's several ways we can use like computer vision in, in a warehousing logistics environment, like I mentioned, whether it's security, business intelligence, or overall improving uh, operations of the, of the warehouse.
0: Yeah, that the last one is actually incredible because that's for me, it sounds truly like, like a game-changing, feature because in the end of the day this saves hours from other from other workers who can then do something else so sounds really really cool but you mentioned that you need to have hardware before that you need to buy your own cctv cameras have you actually considered in the future maybe alarm on it coming with hard, hardware cameras as well or you want to focus on the on the software part of it
1: yeah, I would like to focus purely on software. Manufacturers already out there with the great technology, and a lot more. We're seeing vendor uh, diagnostic hardware being released as well. So um you can you can really install your your analytics on, on top of the yep. cameras uh, themselves, regardless who's been manufactured by. So yeah, I think not to dilute our focus, we. we yep. We're trying to maintain with our vision, which is yep. improve that uh, last part of the, of the system. So hardware, I mean, who knows? You know, yeah, if we identify that there is a, a gap in the hardware somewhere and that we're unable to find a partner who will be able to bridge that gap, we might have to venture into that world. But for now, we're trying to stay away from it. Yep.
0: My next question is about Telegram Messenger. Now, I saw on your website mm-hmm. that you have an integration with them. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular reason to be integrated exactly with Telegram? And are more integrations with other messenger providers expected
1: yeah we, we integrated telegram messenger as a workaround in fact it was uh, a requirement for one of the projects that we started working in south africa in fact it was a, a safari resort and over there they've got like anti-poaching team and they needed to be able to collaborate uh, in real time of any incidents that are happening in the area and at that particular moment we didn't have a, a front end or uh, an effective way for them to do that and which obviously would require development and time to, to test it and so on and the the problem that they were experiencing was was very real and very immediate so you know we urgently needed to they loved analytics but they needed to be able to solve this uh, collaboration problem quite quickly and telegram was one of the messages that provided uh, a really good API for us to integrate with and people found it easier to familiarize themselves with, with the use of it and it became a. Act- Actually, one of our features, because the the anti team enjoyed working through Telegram so much that they, it's just it, it's actually their standard way of operating now. Because as the events are coming through to to the group chat, team members positioned in various locations are able to respond and provide additional insight to the rest of the group through through messaging. Uh, and we we can actually customize the reactions in in the Telegram as well, so we can create like custom buttons and automate that process as well. But other messaging uh, apps uh, are also on the horizon. Some of the requests we've already been receiving is to integrate with WhatsApp. And yeah, basically, if anyone needs for our um, monitor to be integrated with some of the other business applications that might be using, we, we are very flexible with that. We can, we can do it quite quickly.
0: Awesome. And now you said that you've also built businesses before. Uh, And I'll be interested to hear what Mm. those businesses were about. But my question is about scaling Alarmonet. Mm. Is there anything profoundly different about scaling a security startup in which a lot of AI is interconnected in comparison with any other startup? Let's say startups in in edtech or whatever else. Do you think that there's anything that makes it totally different experience or there's some rules and guidelines which you need to follow no matter what's the venture that you're building?
1: Yeah, obviously there is a lot of data protection that involved around that, so that needs to be you need to keep that in mind. GDPR was one of the recent uh, developments in in that space, which dictate well, it's still a little bit of a gray area, but it dictates uh, the the principles or how people should approach working with private data, personal data, and some of the things that the computer vision does, such as facial recognition, number plate recognition, can be associated. With the private data as well. So we need to be careful with that. And the way we build our money is uh, we we'll build it with privacy in mind by design. So all the data is encrypted to the account. We, we don't see the, the images. Yes, the processing might be done by, by AI, but the, the data where it lives and access to that data is restricted to the account and users. I want to encourage the control of data and improve that privacy element within security and surveillance, because as we've seen the trend where basically it's in some countries, especially it's been violated. And I, so yeah, in the, in the security industry, the, the scaling SaaS solutions uh, like ours, it, it can be a challenge because there is a lot of technological in the industry itself. Originally, systems were mainly analog. As a result, there is a lot of skill shortage and maybe a lack of understanding of the of of the iot um ai or computer vision specifically and and its applications so we having to work with companies that are on the you know leading edge of of technology where they really have a a really well they invest in 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 educating their staff and the engineers in in new methods and new technologies and we some of the free, some of the some of the challenges that we also experienced is the, the route to market so because pre, um, most of the systems were on-premise installations analog there's uh, there's a lot of channel partners that tend to work with, within the sector so things like distributors system integrators um, consultants and so on so uh, their their original go to market strategy would be to go through those channel partners with a SaaS solution, it doesn't really work. So you have to work a little bit more closer with the with your end users, and yeah, that that's been a friction as well.
0: And let's talk about challenges. You started Monet last October in 2020. It's been yeah. nearly a year now. Tell me about your biggest challenge up to date.
1: Yeah, the, the biggest challenge today is the value metric that is perceived by the market and the value metric that we use to justify our pricing model. And because with the the way we build a solution, it's aimed to save time and provide additional data for our users. And some of the applications that the industry is see our solution for is is purely for uh, fossil filter which is a small segment of the value that we're offering. The journey we we went through a lot of challenges initially. Well, I still do actually. One of them was when we brought a functionality and it turned out to be a feature, then we had to pivot and expand our value offering. So we had to build uh, a front end and some functionality around for the user experience because the the utilization of uh, basically we restricted how how users could interact with with our solution and how to improve that element but one of the recent recent challenges we are we're experiencing is the product market fit and it, it's purely down to the the pricing model and the value metric how the market sees us and what we are building our uh, business model on because because of the current opportunity we're working with utilizing our solution for a very specific application Whereas we have the ability to expand the application several fold and the approach of the security industry might not be the the quickest route.
0: My next question is about support from our listeners. What is it our listeners can do currently to support either you or Alarmonet?
1: Honestly, ideas. All we need is ideas for people on how they would envision to use the, the computer vision to solve some of the problems that they're experiencing, maybe in the professional world, in the uh, private world. And when I talk about computer vision, if you want to think of the camera as human eyes, for example, and where you would use cameras to, to check something, whether, you know, somebody dropping off a parcel to a house or maybe like I mentioned, the conditions of the box that arrived into a warehouse, or the color of an item is basically which part of, of of human processes that you you would see computer vision will be able to optimize. And what we what we aiming in a long is the ability to not to replace a human, but to enhance the, the human ability to perform a better job. And we, uh, utilizing computer vision as the the low level decision making but on the extracting finer details from objects so if you see a person you might want to capture a face you might want to understand what color jacket they're wearing and so on and so on and all those minute details will end up creating a a specific signature for that particular object or particular event and we can use that to to make better decisions to give additional insights uh, and so on
0: all right now, shall we move to the five questions I ask all of my guests? And the first one is about what's a book that you have read which have really helped you on your entrepreneurial journey, and you would recommend to future founders or current founders?
1: Oh, there's lots of books to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can't, uh, probably won't be able to list them all. But one of the recent ones, and probably because of the alarm being my first SaaS developing and bringing to market, I found the uh, a book called The Startup. Owner's Manual by Steve Blank and Bob Dorf, really useful because it's it's a step-by-step guide on how to build customer-centric method, you know, company. So they, they talk a lot about customer development mythology uh, and lean startup uh, and so on. And yeah, it's brilliant. It's literally that you can follow or drop in at any point And if you're stuck somewhere and it gives you some ideas on how to Validate product, how to create um, that product market fit, and and so on. Obviously, it's it's not a silver bullet, but it's uh, it's a really good good uh, starting point for anyone who's lo- looking to create a SaaS product.
0: Yep, I could never recommend Steve enough. There's a reason he's one of the most important figures in Silicon Valley around startups. So I think that's a great recommendation. Now on the second question, why the name Alarmonet? You kind of explained. Is there anything you want to?
1: No, it was just a, a play on words. Alarmonet can be a combination of alarm monitoring, so we are monitoring alarms, or it could be alarm, we being on on the alarms. So every time there is an alarm, we react in real time and process the events reliably. So you know you're always on it with Alarmonet. That's why that's where it comes from.
0: Awesome. And now the third one is about a place in Sheffield. What's one place that you would recommend for people to visit?
1: Oh, that's a good question. There's so many great places. My favorite ones are, about well, Peak district just because it's so close and I love nature. Yeah, I'd say that's one of our gems, probably, just the the rolling hills that we've got here and that the scenery can be quite spectacular as well. I mean, I think it's quite unique to Sheffield Peak district
0: Yeah, definitely. And you're right, the fact that you can get there I mean, I don't drive, but it's about 40, 40 50 minutes with a bus and just enjoy all the scenery. It's really yeah, spectacular. There is a absolutely. reason. And the little... Oh, sorry, go sorry.
1: On. No, no. I was just going to say, yeah, there is like uh, loads of little uh, towns, uh, villages yeah. that you can pop in. And it's, uh, some of them go you know, 300, 700 years back. And it's uh, the heritage is, is impressive.
0: Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Because I know a lot of people, when they visit Peak District, they go to Fox House, they go to Hills and on the walking paths. But there are these small villages which need to be visited. And now the fourth question, the one with philosophical tones. If you had 15 minutes with your 20-year-old self, what would you tell him?
1: Invest in Bitcoin.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I remember when the best Bitcoin came out, I thought it was a scam. I, I, maybe i am yeah. still a little, I do it a little bit. So, But yeah, no. But on the, on the serious note, probably to, to try... And do more, explore more in terms of business, in terms of ideas and, uh, not to be afraid of, of trying new things and failing. In fact, failing is, is a great way of learning because, and the, the acronym I like to use is uh, fail is the first attempt in learning and to also develop a system where you, you capture this and you learn from them, not to forget them because they, they can be some of the most expensive lessons in your life and, and the last thing you want to do is repeat
0: yeah no that's absolutely true and even the bitcoin part i mean let's let's face it if we actually had a chance to talk with our 20 year old selves for 15 minutes we would probably just just share a lot of results from from sports games and say uh, investment opportunities that would be the, the reasonable thing to do right
1: yeah, yeah, the back to the future um, scene.
0: <laughs> oh, let, let, let's hope it doesn't lead to any changes, though. <laughs> Anyways, the last question for me to you is about a big, hairy and audacious goal that you have for Alarmonet.
1: The biggest goal I have for Alarmonet is to become the global platform for computer vision that really solves the problem for uh, whether on all levels, between, from individual all the way to the um, government level, while at the same time not compromising the, the privacy and uh, data control of, of our users so that data cannot be misused by evil party.
0: That sounds like a benevolent yet ambitious goal. I, I wish you and uh, your, your team achieve it. Thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you, Dennis. It was a pleasure, like always.
0: I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and learned how the application of computer vision can really be transformative in terms of the security industry or any other industry in that term. And hopefully Alarm on it will be on the forefront of this revolution. But now let's move on to this episode's book recommendation. It is What You Do Is Who You Are by Ben Horowitz. Now a little bit for the older. Ben Horowitz is one part of the Anderson Horowitz Venture Capital Fund, also known as A16Z, a fund that is truly representative and formative for Silicon Valley as we know it today. Horowitz was also a founder of Opsware, previously LoudCloud, which was acquired by HP for more than a billion dollars, so he definitely had had his fair share of leadership experience from which this book derives. This book is an extended study on culture and how a leader sets the culture inside of an organization be it a business, political, or any other type. He starts by defining culture as to what drives the decisions of employees and people inside of an organization on a daily basis, what is that invisible force that helps them select a more appropriate response to a certain situation. He then provides examples of four leaders from different historical times. First is Toussaint Louverture, who led the Haitian revolt for independence from France, the notorious and ruthless Mongolian emperor Chinggis Khan, the Samurai as an organization or set of values that shaped modern Japan, and Shaka Senghor, a murder convict who transformed his prison by running a gang. Horowitz tells these four interesting stories and compares techniques and methods they used to lead and how those are utilized by modern business and political leaders. To me the most interesting part was learning about the Haitian revolution, as I've never studied it before, and Toussaint Louverture really left a mark with his action and the results to which they led. But the book is really good from start to finish, it's relatively short and fast paced, so definitely an easy read and I highly recommend it. And with this comes the end of this episode of She Valley. If you want to support my podcast, subscribe wherever you're listening, whether it's Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts or anywhere else. Subscribe to the official She Valley Twitter page, all links are in the show's notes. You can also donate via PayPal button, for which there is also a link in the show's notes. Thank you as always for listening and have a great day.